Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon. This is a podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. My guest today is the chairman of the Willamette Writers Conference up here in Portland, Oregon. His name is Stefan Foyerhart. Yeah, I got that right. Foyerhart. Don't ask me how to spell it. Um, very difficult. And we met up at uh, McMinniman's in West Lynn. But before we get to our special guest, I want to thank Davis Chino, who left me a five-star rating on iTunes. So, yay! And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please leave me a five-star rating, and I will read your name on the next podcast. This is a thank you feature that I'm borrowing from John Dumas over at Entrepreneur on Fire. So, again, thanks to Davis Chino for the five-star review. Okay, it's time for the quick tip. So, how does one become a filmmaking entrepreneur? And what exactly is a filmmaking entrepreneur? It's basically someone who can make films and make a living at doing so. It's pretty much the dream of most artists, you know, to make a living doing their art. The first place to start on this journey is to reverse engineer your dream. So, this means let's start with your death, your obituary. What would you like your obituary to say? I can't even say that word, obituary. Anyway, how would you like to be remembered when you die? Did you live the life that you dreamed of? Okay, so let's write that down. What kind of life did you want to leave behind? Now, the biggest factor of your life design is not if you made great films or if you were rich or famous. No, the greatest legacy must be what tremendous value you gave others while you were alive. And what tremendous value did your films leave audience for years to come? Value. Remember, you'll probably find the most fulfillment when you get to serve other people. Serving others, serving audiences. Now let's get back to the reverse engineering some more. Okay, so you've died. You left behind an amazing legacy of film that provided thousands of people with great value. So how did you live your life on a daily basis? Were you able to wake up, dig deep, into your soul and create your art? How are you able to make a living doing this? Now, don't dismiss this dream. This would be a dream, wouldn't it? I mean, waking up every day knowing that you are making a living, making your art. So let's get real. How can you do this? Well, stay tuned because at the end of this interview, I will let you know how you might be able to accomplish this. But before we get there, let's get into my interview with Stefan Foyerhart here on the Film Trooper Podcast. So I was curious, why don't you give us a rundown of like how you got into uh, writing and how'd you end up being the, the, the chairman for the Willamette Writers Conference? Uh, I got I got sucked down a rabbit hole. I I was uh, <laughs> I came uh, I, I've been writing I'd been writing for years uh, j- just short stories that type of stuff and a um, friend uh, Marianne Donian yeah Marianne uh, yeah right. um, she uh, she's involved with the uh, Wyoming writers and uh, so she invited me to a conference so like a lot of people in town I'd never heard of it before <laughs> so uh, went out there and uh, uh, and started you know just bounced around the classes and uh, I was in these classes learning about the craft of writing and uh, and I kept hearing all this uh, laughing and and cheering from the from the room next door so I, so I started going to these classes and they were the film classes screenwriting wow. classes so I said well I got a screenwrite so that's <laughs> so I started I started doing that and um, and that's how I ended up meeting uh, Randall 
and because uh, yeah, he, he teaches at the conference as well. Yeah. And uh, but you know, one thing led to another, and just uh, you know, like, and it was helping out with the conference, and uh, did one job and then another job, and then finally they said, well, why don't you just run the darn thing? And uh, so I, I said okay, and uh, and that's what we did. So that was. I don't know if it's inciting, but uh, it was... Uh, one, one thing led to another. One thing led to another. Let and, me uh, ask you, are you a lawyer full-time? Is that what you are? Yeah, my day, I'm a lawyer in the, my day job, yep. Like a Batman. At nighttime, you're a writer. And I fight crime, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at nighttime. Very cool. So I want to get specifically about... Um, the film lab that mm-hmm. you guys have been running. So is this the second or third year? Uh, this this coming year will be the third year. Okay, okay. It started in uh, 2012, and uh, really, really, you know, we we've been, you know, if you're not familiar with the film with the uh, Willamette Writers Conference, it's the first weekend in August. Been running for 40 some odd years, but it's traditionally and it's traditionally the organization is more towards uh, long form fiction writers and then nonfiction writers as well. But but um, it also has a track for screenwriters, and uh, and but the attendance was always you know kind of lagging behind because it was because it was almost an afterthought for the organization. I see. Um, and so when when me and, and the, the people that came with me would you know started taking over. We wanted to we wanted to bump it up because you know we we were involved in film. Cynthia Woodcomb, who was running Willamette Writers at the time, she's a screenwriter, a successful screenwriter. We, we figured we had the clout. We we want to we want to make inroads in the community. We want to we want to like grow this. We want to grow ourselves as a community asset for screenwriters in Portland. So we're trying to figure out well what can we do? Well we can have a screenwriting contest, but you know yeah. Tons of those out there, and you know, would you would you pay money to potentially win the Willamette Writers Screenwriting Contest? <laughs> I don't know, you know. Um, but so we got figured. Well, what are we going to do? You can't. Let, what can we? What can we throw out there as as a, a reward for this, uh, as a prize for winning? And so we figured we had a couple of things going for us. So one thing is we bring in about a dozen or so Hollywood film agents every year to the conference to hear pitches for, for people's projects. So we figured we, we, we can, you know, we have the access to those folks that we can try to, you know, use as a selling point. And then, um, then we said, well, you know, what if... I, I think it was I think it was Adam McMenamin, not this McMenamin's, it was Adam <laughs> McMenamin's over, over late night... Uh, late night uh, Terminators that uh, we figured well what's what would be a, like what does every screenwriter want like especially the beginning screenwriters you know, we all, we want to get produced um, and so well what what if we, we've got you know it's it's a it's a big conference and we've got a budget what if we produced a movie and um, so we kept thinking and thinking we couldn't come up with a, a reason why we couldn't do it um, so we just decided it was really late in the game in 2012 it was already springtime said well screw it let's just do this and uh we said okay screenwriting contest we're going to film the winner and uh and you know we got some we got some entries and uh and uh put it all together and we got a a local production company ampersand productions um uh, here in town uh to to be our you know filmmakers and um, and they didn't tell us how badly we were screwing them uh, in the process <laughs> by putting them so far behind on the right, right, right. Uh, on the timeline, and um, and they got it made and uh, and you know it, it's 
it surprised everyone. There was a lot of there was a lot of hand wringing within the the Willamette Writers Group you know, organization. Uh, you know, this, it should we be doing this? This could fail spectacularly and cost us money on the way. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, against all odds, it went really well. Um, and you know, because there's so many different artists involved, and they they like to do a good job, and they did. Uh, the writing was good, the, the directing was good, the acting was good, and we came up with a, a, a cute little movie, a cute short that we've ended up filming and throwing our, our name on as producers. And, yeah, very cool. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, and now it's a year and a half later, and the, and the, and the thing's won some awards. Uh, is this the first one? This is the first one. Because the second one just got, it's just getting submitted, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. The, the, the second one that, that premiered at this year, this past year's conference uh, is still, is still getting cleaned up for, for the festival circuit. Right. It's typically, it's, uh, it's music that lags us behind. It's yeah. the last thing that we have to get licensed and stuff. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so it, it, it premiered kind of privately at, at the conference and, uh, but then um, the first one that we did got submitted during the next year to conference uh, to festivals, excuse me, and uh, won won a uh, Oregon Independent Film Festival award, nice. uh, for best comedic short, and uh, and now it's uh, it's Mount Hood. We just got word it's Mount, you know uh, Mount Hood Festival, so uh, you know. That's great. I mean, that's it's more than we can ask for. It's good advertising for us. It is because you know there's interesting about film labs in general. Like just uh, recently, I had posted a, a question to a lot of different film com- uh, communities online, especially with Google Plus. They have like these communities and some Twitter and stuff. And I and I just asked a simple question. I asked to the community, "What is the greatest thing you love about filmmaking and then what is the greatest pain you have about filmmaking and almost unanimously it was just a bunch of strangers just piping in and it was really cool just to start the discussion but it was mostly that everybody loves the creative collaboration process just seeing something from nothing be created is that is what they love most yeah. The pain usually comes in funding, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, the money. Money. Some of them has things like, I think, other very direct personal issues where, like, uh, you know, when the crew goes bad, you know, or, oh, like yeah. a, or a, right. a creative collaboration goes bad. Yeah. And that is painful. Um, so it's interesting to think about the money part of it, because if you dig deeper into what that sort of means psychologically, it's just the resources to see it come to fruition. You know, whatever this idea might be, just to have an opportunity to have the means to make it, to see it come to life, is that's the pain, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting because I was thinking to myself, like, well, you can, o- you can offer a place where the, you can offer the love, where people have an opportunity to meet and other like-minded people and find a creative collaboration and, you know, make something together. And then um, how do you solve that pain? Um, it's interesting that some of the top-notch, like, you know, film festivals for years have had these very um, exclusive film labs. You know, I think some of the better Sundance films all come from the lab. Like all the stuff that we read about, um, I think like um, Wes Anderson, um, hmm. his Bottle Rocket film was part of the film lab of Sundance Institute. Now that that's a different kind of model, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so that's, that's, what that's I a talk. very in-depth kind of right, right. Mm-hmm. So the, here's the thing about the film lab. So they have those type of things. So they very immersive, very exclusive to be invited to these things. Right. Um, 
think Paul Thomas Anderson also was part of that lab. So they, they when they come out of it, they their project where they had they came in with it gets really refined by a, like a lot of professionals that put their hands on it to help them, you know, craft it. And then not only that, but they're already set up in the institute. So when they right. finish it, you're like, don't worry, we have to, we will put prominent, you know, put you into Sundance and because you were part of the pro- program. Right. Tribeca has something going like that. I think some film, uh, uh, Film Independent is an organization that has one. Uh, San Francisco Institute just, or no, San Francisco, I can't remember which one it is. The San Francisco Independent Film Festival has one, I think, too. And they all vary in terms of what a lab means. Right. So, in the Willamette's uh, perspective, it's I think it's cool that you do have a product because that's what people shoot for. Because if anybody who's willing to like commit themselves or enter or pay an entry fee to be part of something, to know that there, there's a potential to come out of it, and then and the stuff that comes out of it is polished. You know, that's your advertisement. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you know what we're what we're selling is the idea that, that you know, especially for newbies, uh, you could come out of this uh, a, a produced screenwriter, and you'd have something to show. You'd have something to put out on your on your site, or you know, say say is yours, and um, and it's not without growing pains. You know, part of what both writers we've only had two so far, but. Both of them, and they blogged about it on on our site as well, but about their experiences. But they've both gone through those pains where the movies they end up getting made, even though they're just shorts, they're not exactly what they wrote. Yeah, uh, because because you know you like as, as you know it's a collaborative process, and um, it, you know it goes through different iterations. Now, what kind of involved? Like, if somebody goes to the lab, um, do they get notes back? Like, guess what? Um, we don't have the budget, or like we don't have that location, so you're gonna have to rewrite this. Or do you have do they have other writers come in and goes, you know, is there a way that you can recraft this one scene to pull out like this drama from this character? Like I don't know how how does the collaboration happen at, that you've seen? Okay, well let me say let me emphasize <laughs> for the microphone here. This is a lab, and we're all kind of learning as we go, especially the first year. Right. I mean, I hate to say we're making up the rules as we went, but we were, we're we had not we didn't have anything to pull from experience-wise, so we we were literally trying to figure out you know how what's the best way to do this, um, and so yeah, we're still answering those questions. We we get in what we try to do. What we did what we did know ahead of time was that we wanted to put limitations on what we're submitting or what we're getting in. So we say, look, you can you you can submit. Um, so many pages, that, which translates to shooting days. So we know kind of what we're budgeting. You can, and it has to be limited to as far as locations go. And, and if, if you're going to send us a sci-fi script, <laughs> be prepared that we don't have a makeup budget. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or we can't we can't recreate the bridge of a Starfleet cruiser. We can't right, just can't right. do it. So um, and, and see, so then you rely on you don't want. You don't want to stifle people's creativity, and you rely on people to kind of be reasonable when they send you their good stuff. But we, but sure enough, we got we got uh, submissions with car chases and uh, um, cranes and <laughs> stuff like. It's like okay, great, but we can't film it. You know, yeah, so yeah. what are you going to do? So, and, and I imagine to some extent, we you know we try to give them feedback, um, and and even the even the winning scripts, they had to. 
there were some changes not made not maybe from a, a story aspect necessarily, uh, but from a, a production aspect. You know, say like like you were saying. Yeah. How can you t- how can you get this point? Uh, we realize what you want to tell here. How can we tell that without without having to go? You know, to a certain location. Uh, how can we do this without actually having to bring in a wrecking ball? Right. You know, that right. kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. In the last one. So the first movie, um, I don't recall the name, but our boy Randall is acting in it. That's right. Know? So he's That's right. The, the Tormentor writer, or what we think. Anyhow, so I won't give away. But the. What was the name of that film again? Um, oh, you're putting me on the spot. Oh. Alice Volat Propri. Oh my God! Propris. Well, that's why I don't remember the, because it was it's, I couldn't. It wasn't, it wasn't English. It's Latin. It's yes. uh, it's Latin, and it's um, sh- you know I'm not going to tell people on your podcast what that means. People people should look that up. But they everybody should. here in Oregon should know what that is. I'll look it up. I'll put the show notes. I'll probably put the trailer up <laughs> for it too. Um, oh, there you on go. The, on the show notes because okay. I won't remember. Cause I, I mean, I'll, I remember how to say it or pronounce it, but. Yeah, it was a really delightful film. I thought Randall was cool, and it was just cool to see it all come together. Um, and very clever. And then the second one was delightful as well. And it was fun uh, being at the film lab, presenting um, you know, my film, The Cube, there, but also just um, uh, having fun with the, the, the film lab winner. And I can't remember her name. Um, this year's winner yeah. was uh, Barbara... Barbara, that's right. Barbara. Barbara yeah. and her mom. That's and Barbara and her mom. That's right. And who who came up from uh, from Texas? Yeah, for that's just crazy. Us. So the entry winner was not from here in Portland, but yeah. And, and that's another thing. You know, we we're kind of it's it's great. It's good growing pains. But at first, we never we didn't really think about. You know, if you put something on the internet, our next year's winner could be from Shanghai. For all we know, so interesting. You, know, you never know. So this one came from Texas, which was great. So being part of the chair um, and the organization. Um, is it a year-round job, like organizing it? Or do you have like a? For the most part, yeah, yeah. All right, no, I mean it's not a it's not a paid gig. No, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's but it's there is there the enough, like okay, we got to get a meeting together, get this thing up and running. Yeah, we are we are already planning. As we as we're sitting here, this is October. Yeah. Uh, we're already planning for next August. Unbelievable. Yeah. Can't believe it. it went yeah. so fast. You got you got to have a lot of lead time, otherwise everything gets too crazy at the end. Let me. We're gonna shift gears a little bit um, because story is the core, the heart of like all of this. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, when I'm studying marketing and you talk to copy bloggers and people who get into direct marketing sales, like there's an art to writing concise content uh, and they love stories and everybody still loves stories let me ask you something why do you think we as humans need stories um i don't know that we need them but i think that i think that we are we're just hardwired to to accept them Uh, because i think that's that's just it's part of where we come from it, it's how we how we were informed so I think it's just it's it's like sunshine you don't need it but you, you're you automatically know you, you it's good and you want it and you want more of it so because <laughs> it, it, it it feeds you it, it you know it feeds your feeds your knowledge feeds your understanding of the world all that interesting in your experience watching um, the conference develop and, and being a writer yourself and seeing other people's writings or um, is there a like a common thread or some something that you've noticed that is uh, 
uniquely common for all stories? Um, I think that they have to, well, I, you know, good stories, I guess. <laughs> yeah, good stories. <laughs> I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say. I, I don't know. From from you're asking me, from where I where I sit running the conference. Yeah, there's so many different people. Writers, I I, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't give you a, a much from there. I'm you know, I just think from from what I've seen anecdotally, you know, the yeah. the ones that they they either somewhere along the line they're striking an emotional chord with somebody, either either the story they wrote. Um, strikes an emotional chord with the reader or the viewer or the person sitting across the pitching table, um, or they're or they are striking an emotional chord with with the way they sell it or pitch it. Um, it's present. Do you believe? Well, writing is one. Well, I guess let me see. Writing is one thing, like the ability to just put you know it on on the paper on whatever, like, mm-hmm. put it in concrete something you can you know tangibly read that's how Moses did it yeah <laughs> but this is exactly like you know we gotta write this stuff down that's right you know we can't just be like like because nobody's gonna believe this exactly. stuff. we gotta write this stuff down. that's exactly right then there's an art form of the presentation the oh yeah how somebody could uh, I could read you a story but it won't have the same flavor as somebody who's really good at like knowing when to stop and emphasize this and that um it's funny just kind of talking about that that I, I never really thought about that before but just sort of the the context and also the presentational context is so mm-hmm. vital to storytelling that i that i have seen at the conference i have seen people be successful based on based on them you know i don't i didn't even know if their story was was as wildly compelling uh, as they were just pure uh, in the way they were able to present it. You know, yeah. Some people obviously are just better presenters, but but I think maybe if if somehow what you've done is is somehow pure from from where you are, and it yeah. just gives you an ease of being able to present it. Um, it, it, it makes the presentation that much easier. I mean, look, you, you with the cube, right? That's this is your baby. Right. You know it. Um, y- you you are uniquely qualified to give us why this why this story matters. And I don't know if it does. <laughs> right. We're, we'll, we'll assume now that it matters, right? But but uh, it, so you. I mean, and and that's true for any writer. Yeah. But now uh, I haven't seen it. As I sit here, um, or if you're pitching it to me, I haven't seen it. it. Now you get still. It's still up to you to channel what what you know is great about it. Right. To me. Right. And so there's that dual challenge. You got to write. You got to write a great story, but then you also got you also got to pitch a great story to get people to want to read this great story you wrote. So it's you know it's it's hard because I mean, writers. I mean, we're not marketing people. We're you know we're writers. So. We'll, well, that's just, well this, it's funny you brought that up about not marketing people. I mean, that's the whole idea about this podcast or this, this website and the blog is to sort of break those barriers down because I think in the new digital age, I think we can be. Because what I've discovered is to be a marketer, to be um, um, into that world of promotion is just as, as creative as it is to create the product. 
So um, it's just sort of the, all the courage it takes to become a writer, to become an artist, to make a film, all that entrepreneurial spirit is there already in all of us, all of us filmmakers and artists and writers that just need a mindset, mindset shift to say, guess what? You're already doing it. You just need to take the next step to realize the entrepreneurial side, the marketing business side is probably just as creative. You know, and the business world probably needs us to be creative to push it forward, especially in the independent sec- uh, section. Sec- oh yeah, that's a, no, that's that's a great way to put that. But you know, and and hopefully, um, hopefully people get psyched about seeing that as an opportunity. You know, as, yeah. as a way to be creative. You know, use that as use that as a cre- an outlet for the creativity, just like the writing is. I think the biggest thing um, that I learned was like always looking outside of the industry for examples I remember hearing this story about Henry Ford that you know he looked outside of the um, there wasn't car any automobile industry at the time it's about the you know the assembly line process I think he found mm-hmm. it with um, a pork you know packaging company okay yeah so he kind of looked at that and said I wonder if that could work with uh, cars you know with, with my product huh. so you see, what we see is like oh he invented the assembly line not really kind of you know everybody borrows from somebody and they, they add to it their own right. flair right um, but you know Steve Jobs is you know famous for saying that the Stanford speech is saying you the three things he talks about dare to be you know I don't know what it was something like dare to be help me out it's like dare to be stupid or, or something like that he had three things like you know, connect the dots. Be able to connect the dots. Uh-huh. Um, dare to be, you know, adventurous, wild, stupid. I'm, I'm bastardizing. This. I, I wish I could help you yes. right now, but I can't remember. I'm looking at it. But the third one I completely forgot. But I do remember the one one of his. Main but the third points. one was brilliant. Yes, it was fast. It was so good that I remembered it. So people are people are probably rolling over, going, "Oh my God!" It was such a famous speech. And he's screwing it up. So I do remember connecting the dots. And what right. that meant was like his story about his love for calligraphy when he was in college, mm-hmm. up here in Reed College and here in Portland. And uh, just not knowing what it meant later, but when they made the Macintosh and it was time to create the, the typography and the fonts, how he just labored over like what perfect, beautiful font. And you think about the impact it has on the world because we would have been stuck with some very ugly looking you know Microsoft fonts for a long time if it wasn't for a Macintosh to say look at the different fonts and the, the beauty of fonts you mm-hmm. know there's a great documentary called Helvetica that came out a couple of years oh, I ago I saw that yeah so it was that, that kind of thing about the art of uh, you have to really like fonts to watch that whole that whole documentary yes but it is, <laughs> yes, but it is really just he has a whole like uh, trilogy some other films he made with it and okay. then he has and he's so smart that he's taking I don't know the particular filmmaker's name but uh, I read a, a quick blur, blurb on a blog that he's taken all these all this footage that he recorded of uh, interviews because you know, not, not everything makes it in the film in a documentary especially because he has just hours of you know raw unedited right. interviews well he's he's recollecting those um, old footage he has and packaging it and reselling it as sort of like a, uh, a bonus feature of that trilogy that he made, you know? Oh. And what's great about that is the entrepreneurial spirit of essentially milking every opportunity from the assets you create. And, and that's one thing they talk about business. They talk about what's the difference between a liability and an asset, you know? A liability is anything that pretty much takes money out of your pocket. And an asset is what, you know, puts money into your pocket but the new form of an asset and liability is really 
your core value. Like, mm-hmm. what value do you bring to an audience, to a consumer, a customer base? And um, it's that shift, that mindset shift, that's help helping some artists break through to be like, I can't have a six-figure job just doing my art. So it is, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, there's, uh, you're right, and I think maybe what what you're talking about with with jobs and the fonts and all that, I think really the the underlying thing there is is his love, and I mean, let's face it, the guy was crazy, right? He was. He might have been bipolar. I don't know. <laughs> he might have been. He, he must have had something. Yes. yes. He, I mean, he was brilliant and crazy at the same time. Yeah. So you know, great for him. But he, but it was his, it was his uh, love of design that that you know beyond the fonts. It was his it was right that that created that simplistic, overly, you know, beautiful uh, thing that sells sells Apple products. As much as anything else, and uh, and I, God, I wish I could remember right now uh, what the guy's name is, but but there's some a designer, not a designer, but somebody who who speaks about what you're talking about. Oh, guys, Kawasaki. Sorry, I'm just throwing no, out no. It's <laughs> it's a it, it's talking about business strategy. You know, like what if you're if you're going to if you're going to put a product out there, decide decide on the why. Uh, oh yes. Right? Side of the why, right? I know. Yeah, uh, we're right, right. So, I look at us bastardizing it, but I know what you're talking. People about. who are listening, look it up yourself. Yes, decide the why. <laughs> know what your why is. Know what, what your why. Why right? your purpose is. All that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly, because because the idea is. It's and not they Seth use Godin, is it? No, no. Okay, I, you know what? Sorry, I don't I'm know. bastardizing this. <laughs> I don't know, but 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 we we've seen the same thing, yes. right? And they use Apple as an example, uh, because because they they say. There, are people buy buy Apple not because not just because I mean it's a good product. I don't happen to use one, but but yeah. I'm sure it's a very good product. People people don't buy it just for that. People buy it because they want in on that mystique. They they want what they want Steve Jobs's brilliance. They want his vision, and that's why they're buying an Apple. That's part of what they're doing. They're they're buying that. That idea that this is what this is why we do what we do, uh, and not it's not that we sell computers, it's that we solve problems or something. You know, I'm, I'm now I'm kind of paraphrasing, paraphrasing, but you know what? Um, I remember this part. Um, this old saying that I always bring into my mindset, which is I remember when they said the railroad failed because they thought they were in the railroad business. Mm-hmm. They failed to realize they were in the transportation business. So when Henry Ford came in with a car, the you know, horses buggy, boom, doom. And Kodak went out of business because they thought they were in the photochemical processing business. Mm-hmm. And they failed to realize that they were in the business of memories. Right. And someone said that... Wait, Kodak failed? Kodak. <laughs> Oh my God! They did finally, but I mean they're still limping along. Right. But they missed a golden opportunity. Sure. sure. Because um, it's interesting when you can reposition your business in a sense that is attached to a emotional. Um, sorry, emotional. An emotion, or a purpose, or a why. Yeah. That's what they. And that's a lot of these new entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs space talk about this. Is those who are successful that have meaning, mm-hmm. have that why, have that purpose, uh, have that value. And so Apple 
apparently understands that they're not in the electronic business or the um, tech business. They are in a lifestyle business. Right. So all their marketing and everything like that, it's, if you look at their marketing versus uh, some of their competitors, they never talk about the sort of the features, really. They just talk, they show this imagination, the, I'm sorry, imaginary world of like what your life could be, mm-hmm. what you emotionally attach this product to, to these these imaginary scenes like that's what that you you know sure latch on to versus some of their competitors they'll get into features but they don't get into the benefits so and that's also taught in um in the entrepreneurial space it's like you really have as a marketer creatively you have to as a storyteller grab into the emotions of your audience or consumer base and then share them or tell them the benefits you know make sure it's an emotional connection to the benefits don't talk about the features and so a lot of the other competitors that come in uh, into the space that Apple's in you'll see like oh it's got the bigger screen is faster than this it could do this and this and like it's like whitewash you don't really hear it when you see like this short spurt of this imagination this uh, this dream world of what you project your life to be they know very well that they're in the lifestyle business Mm -hmm. and so that's something for filmmakers and writers to think about I think is to say like if you're making a film you know what is the value it brings to an audience and you know what is that emotional why exactly yeah when we're you know when we're when we're selling it you know are we we're not selling God, I got this great story. It is 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 functionally perfect. I've got the, you know the beats exactly where they're supposed to be. Uh, the cinematography is perfect. I've got this great shot uh, where we spiral away or something like that. No, you're not. You're not selling the mechanics. You're selling like you, you want to sell. This will make you cry, you know, or this will make you laugh. This you know this will make you feel what it's like to be in this protagonist's shoes. Right. Um, Here's something really fascinating. The in a silly film such as Anchorman. So mm-hmm. before I came to uh, you know hang out with you tonight, I was uh, watching Anchorman. I threw it up um, onto the <laughs> Apple TV, right. and my daughter's never seen it. She's 11, and my wife's like, "Really? You gonna show her this?" <laughs> okay, yeah. So my daughter is in tears, and I I had to leave because she was still watching it. But I I was trying to explain to. Not to like poo-poo it because everybody thinks it's just like a silly movie per se, but it's one of my favorites. But I had to tell my daughter, goes, this is a, you might actually get a chance to see what it was like for women in the workplace in this time. And like how ridiculous it was. Wait, are you presenting this to your daughter as like a historical document? Pretty close. But it had an emotional <laughs> core to it, which was like, look at this ridiculousness that how men were uh, so threatened by uh, a female anchor woman, you know, a a female anchor. And, and, you know, at the core, there was this fight, you know, and it has this sort of um, levity to it that was like, okay, yes, there was this problem, but yes, they're making a great fun of it. It was fun, but it's still underlined that was the core of the story, was really... um, um, Christine Applegate's struggle to be accepted into the man's world, and That's the men, true. and the men to accept her, you know, and it's it's that acceptance story. So we prep we prep that for my daughter so she understood, you know, so she's gonna identify like, mm-hmm. oh my god, these guys are ridiculous. So she might laugh at all the craziness that goes on in that film and some completely inappropriate, but you know, still, I t- I step back and go, 
you know, that's a film that has a why. You know, yeah. get it hidden underneath all the the jokes sometimes, the jokes. Right. Versus a film that's like a spoof film that's like, does these spoofs of like all the vampire films or whatever it right. is, where there, people come away, oh, why is that so dumb? Like there mm-hmm. wasn't there, there wasn't a why. It was just like joke on top of joke. Right. There was no underlying theme. Which to is it. okay to us, yeah. I mean, it, but it only lasts thirty seconds. Right. It's yeah. a short lived where right. it doesn't doesn't have residual a residual effect for right. sure. So how old is Anchorman now? That was made. Uh, That's got to be almost ten years. At least ten, right? Yeah, they're coming out with the second one now. Uh, I remember. <laughs> Watching the trailer, my daughter was only a baby, or she was just about to talk. I think two, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the trailer for that film, and uh, Ron Burgundy is just, you know, singing Scotch, 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 Scotch <laughs> in my belly. I love Scotch. And my daughter started to repeat it because <laughs> she was in my lap. I was watching it. <laughs> my, my, my wife's like, perfect. That's good stuff. <laughs> Some of her first words. <laughs> You get a call from the preschool. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this is fascinating, just talking about story and stuff like that. What else can you share with us that you've seen at the um, your experience with the writers' conference? There's something that people might not know that's, you know, you have a different perspective when you see all this stuff come in, like in terms of writers or writer struggles, that kind of stuff. Um, I guess what, what struck me... What struck me right from the get-go, even before I, before I, you know, was doing what I do now, and maybe even less so now because I'm so busy putting on fires, that I don't get a chance to enjoy it. But just, but just absorbing, you, you get, you get. I think creativity has has an energy to it. Like uh, you, you'll know it when you're in a room with a couple of create creative people, or or maybe not creative people, but if you're if you're on something, if you're if you're if you're really buzzing with with some creative ideas, if you're bouncing around, if you're brainstorming something, um, what struck me is the conference, like I would imagine other conferences, is that you've got 800 people, you get buzzing about stuff like that, and there and that energy I think is is palpable. It, well, at least it felt like that to me. Is it, you know the 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 hallways almost reverb with it it's it's i mean it's not all it's not all you know roses and whatnot and so it's, but but um i think there's just so much people are just so jacked sometimes you know because they've yes because they, they finally figure you know, they come in and they, they see yes this is i'm in the right place i am i am learning this and i'm gonna i'm gonna turn this around and apply this and and i just i love i love that energy just like you know, just like a critique group only a hundred times as big you know it's that it's that creative energy that that we all love to feed on i think you just hit something on the head which is really fascinating is the need to sort of still be in the physical space with others there's something about a body language the, um, whatever the you know the, these unseen chemicals or something that bounce off like that energy those waves mm-hmm. because I'll have like interesting conversations online but it's still still removed mm-hmm. you know and then you might have like a, a, a Skype session or a Google session or a hangout session or something you're still it's kind of cool but you still there's still we can't pinpoint it there's right. there's the need to be in a, in a physical room with somebody where you you can't 
touch it, but you can feel that energy. But I know exactly what you mean. These conferences you go to, you can be in a glow. You can be in a glow all weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's like you, a lot of people just get addicted to that. Like, I want to see that glow again, you know? <laughs> and um, that's really fascinating. The need still to be, you know, have that yeah. human interaction. Or that, it's really to feed off that energy where, it, where like you said, you have enough like-minded people together in a hallway just bouncing around. Yeah. You know? and, I mean, there might be a perfectly plausible biological explanation or you know maybe it's just you know when you're when you're face to face you can kind of read the body language and, and that kind of thing but there may be more to it because you know, it there's and maybe it goes back to that we were talking about story you know it, anyway maybe it's, there's a primal thing to it and and maybe story is best delivered live maybe that you know that's why um you can hear you can hear shakespeare done well on or you can see it done well yeah. uh, on tv but if if you're in the audience and see it done well live, a live performance, it, it's what, completely different. It's night and day. That is fascinating because now you know in the film world, the independent film world, you know they're just going through the growing pains of trying to figure out this new digital medium in terms of when I say digital medium, this digital landscape, because we've watched uh, authors. And you, I think you guys had a track on it at uh, the writers' conference about self-publishing. Oh yeah, you know anybody like I can write my story I could put it onto Amazon Kindle ebook whatever and I could sell it you know Mm -hmm. but that's you still need to be an entrepreneur enough to know how to market it how to stream it from the top of the mountain like Moses did that's right so the uh, hopefully your book weighs less yes uh, (laughs) I always I always look back at like the uh, what was that Mel Brooks movie The History of the World where he threw three tablets yeah (laughs) (laughs) ten fifteen no ten (laughs) I guess a lightning strike oh he dropped it that's what it was he dropped it (laughs) so anyway the um, oh I lost my train of thought but anyhow there was this this oh sorry yes I'm still working on it Thank you. Anyway, so as I was, my train of thought was, what was my train of thought? For those listening, while Scott regains his shit right now, (laughs) what was (laughs) it? The waitress came by with the bill. Yeah, that happens a lot of time. (laughs) Jesus, wait. We were talking about um, just need to be in the physical space together. Talking about Mel Brooks. That's what messed you up. Oh, I know. That's just okay. 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 Got it. So we have authors be able to write it. They can put it up on self-publishing, direct publishing, uh, you know, via um, e-books. Right. They can, but they just need to know how to sell. So the next part would be um, musicians, because we were talking about the live experience mm-hmm. and why musicians and bands still have um, the one thing that's successful and unique to them is they can pretty much offer the music for free, you know, build a following then show up as a live performance in a small club and it's that feeling of seeing the band live and that they're, or a musician live or, or a creator live is a unique event. Right. There's this whole discussion right now about films to make it relevant to for people to go to the theaters, especially independent films, you have to make an event out of it. It has to be the equivalent of like somebody going to see a live performance of a band or something. And I think filmmakers are in that weird flux stage of like trying to figure it out as, as well as exhibitors who are these small theater chains like I still need to like every night every weekend have a show you know right. we gotta put on a show sure. and I gotta bring people in and how do you do that in an age where you've got a 60 inch screen 8 feet from your couch yeah 
on your pajamas and just about anything that you want. Right. It's true. And then, or, or too, you're watching a film, you're like, oh my God, I just, I'll, I'll just pull up my phone and look at a cat video that's more entertaining. You know, right. it's like, how do you... But on the, on the flip side of that, you got, right, it happens all the time. It's a phenomenon. You get a, you get a, a story that resonates with people, like on a TV show. Uh, you could you could sit on the on the, on your couch and watch what The Walking Dead or Breaking yeah. Bad free, right? You could, or you could get dressed, drag you and your wife across town to the Hollywood Theater, and <laughs> watch it with eight hundred, well, eight hundred, four, three hundred other people, right? People yeah. do that. Um, and why would you do that? Why would you go pay money to go to a movie theater and watch a show that you could sit at home and watch? It'll, it, maybe it's the same reason. You want that shared connection. You want that Community. event. Yeah. So, in, and why, why would you do that? Why would you do that for a, a good TV show and not do it for a bad movie? That's you know, the story. Yeah. If it's been. a good story, you get people excited about it. And they'll come out. They'll they you know it, it's not necessarily an economic decision. It's an emotional decision. Yeah. Hey, we just cracked it, man. The emotional decision, and that's what marketers like. I always remember the the the, uh, the core marketing was um, identify the pain and then offer the solution. You know, but what mm-hmm. we have to do it, but you have to sell emotion. <laughs> so, I was um, my daughter's Girl Scout leader a couple of years ago. And we had to do this thing where I had to prep the girls for Girl Scout cookie sales. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, God, what are we going to do? So what can I teach them? Because the whole thing is about teaching girls the self-confidence. And that's the whole point of like selling cookies is they are really inten- intending the girls to learn how to sell. Right. How to find that, um, that self-confidence to do so. So I had this, the girls line up and I had this fake door. And I was acting like, okay, everyone is going to come up, knock on the door. And you're going to open it and you're going to hear your sales pitch. He goes, but what are we selling? And they're like, cookies. I go, you're not selling cookies. <laughs> go, you are not selling cookies. I was really like, just to get their attention. I go, you know what you're selling? All of you are selling cuteness. <laughs> get it? Cuteness. So oh let's my see God. It. So then they come through, they knock on the door. Hi. He goes, I go, that's not cute. He goes, you got to give me see the eyes. You know, sell it. And I gave him all these little techniques, like, this is how you sell it. And, like, you know, and if they say they bought some Girl Scout cookies, like, oh, that's wonderful. Would you buy one more for me? That kind of thing. It's just, like, little things, like, you know, if you sell the cuteness, they are going to buy into it. And I, I remember Scott that. Scott McMahon, thing. you are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But then, hopefully somebody took, took that. And, like, some kid, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, my hope was that somebody, one of those girls would take it with them. Goes, those girls are multimillionaires yes. today. <laughs> entrepreneurs. These young <laughs> entrepreneurs. Right. But I do remember that. You have to sell an emotion. You have to. Um, that's the key to marketing. Mm. And everything's driven by that and those who can control it or uh, or can master it or you know successful a lot of the people that are successful too are just willing to try mm-hmm. and not be willing and willing to fail i think that's the biggest thing willing to fail and it's interesting because we have artists that that, that will jump in like and just try it and you know but are scared to be rejected or what do people think about their art you know there's this, this tremendous courage just to do that I think the selling and making the business part is not necessarily the, the hard part. I think, I think what it is is that the two worlds haven't uh, come together with like a full course teaching, like a, a training. That's what I hope to do with Film Trooper is to offer the, that bridge to say, okay, you, you've learned everything about how to write a good story, 
how to here's the production tools how to you know how to shoot mm-hmm. how to make films but when you're done you know there that world of just handing it off to a film festival getting discovered handing it off to a film uh, studio and all your dreams will come true that no longer exists right. for the independent film you have now have to bridge this other part which is the entrepreneurial spirit which is just as creative and just as fascinating now you have to bridge it, both of them together and that's I think the new wave of um, artists or anybody just whatever business you get into you, there's that new set of training that needs to be developed so people just know as long as you know you might not have to do it all but as long, if you're a producer of, of a art product a book a you know uh, an album a movie now and the big thing about it is that because books are or stories are relatively no cost is you on a laptop or something right or music you on a laptop you know sure. so, there's so many musicians who just do all their own stuff mm-hmm. well film has always been that weird barrier they still need this bigger creative you know collaboration and equipment i'm hoping with the cube that could break break it down a little bit it's like no you can still be you could be that one person on a laptop doing the same thing and now film has been reduced to that same level as writing a book you're making an album making a movie and it doesn't necessarily need to have those barriers of that many people involved and then it's like oh so the, where does that leave it so you have to follow, try to follow the same paradigms as what's going on with uh, those other disciplines in the art oh form. yeah oh well i'm i'm sold uh, yeah. i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna be cutting an album anytime soon but um i I am. I'm following. I'm following your lead on the uh, on the cube thing and the film trooper thing. I think it's. I think it's wonderful what you're doing here, and, and it's just because. Yeah, it is. It's not for everybody. I mean, it's not. It's not the one answer, but it is an answer. Yeah, and I don't think. And that's the thing. I was looking at a niche, you know, and it's. And I didn't intend this podcast to kind of go this direction, but hell, here we are. Because it, <laughs> it was. Um, it was interesting, at the writers' conference. That to show that present show my uh, trailer in the first seven minutes. The, the the major feedback that I got from that um, that night was fantastic. Was I was I was I swore that people would be not interested in my film. I think that I thought they were going to be more interested in how I made it, which is why I really try to play up. Like I made it for five hundred bucks with no crew. Right. And I thought people would be more interested in how I did that. I was I was floored and fascinated. And really stoked that people came up and wanted to talk to me about the film itself, mm-hmm. and that was like whoa. And they all came up to me and said, "You got to recut your trailer," because the first seven minutes, like we were totally, you know, hooked. And you need to cut your trailer to better reflect what the first seven minutes of your film showed. So I was like, okay. Mm. And that was like a couple different people that night told me. So just recently, because the trailer's not that scary, is it? It's not supposed to be scary, it, and that's the whole thing. Well, I, the first seven minutes is kind of. It's that, just more that of like of a creepy it's just vibe, a creepy suspense vibe. Yeah. And I actually put up there on my website on thecubemovie.com. It says um, a supernatural suspense movie. Mm-hmm. Nowhere does it say horror. Nowhere does it say thriller. Right. You know. And so I took that to heart, and I just finished updating the trailer, and and a better, it much better reflects the first seven minutes, the whole tone of the film. And that's it was really cool because you sort of need that audience feedback. You, mm-hmm. It's it is a community thing. It's like. You know, you come down from the mountain with my Ten Commandments or whatever right. it is. Like, I've created this. Like, I don't think there was any feedback to the Ten Commandments. I think he just said, here it is. And that was good. Because <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, there wasn't any, like, rebuttal back to it. But the, um, it's interesting that community you need is, like, that feedback or test groups or whatever you see. 
but um, that was really fun, fascinating, and it was uh, again if it floored me because then I realized that I have to find a niche an audience for it because I re- I thought it was just going to be filmmakers who just be interested. In it, I said, mm-hmm. and that it was made for this little. So what does it look like? You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet there was a lot of that. I know that's that's what drew me to it at first, uh, and uh, and then of course I was pleasantly surprised because oh thanks because it's you know, it's it, it's a testament to to where the the technology and where ingenuity is going. Yeah, and and, and so what I came away from that was like now I am slowly building, uh, reaching out to um, audiences of um, well, I guess of Eastern um, spiritual, you know, uh, followings and beliefs like because. Uh-huh. It has a, a Buddhism aspect to it. Oh, I think we're wrapping up. What time is it? So it's 11.40. Okay. And we close to 11. You so. close at 11? Yeah. I thought it was midnight. Oh. <laughs> I read it wrong on their website. It's okay. Look at that. We're, I guess we're perfect timing. It's kind of short. Anyway, we'll wrap it up and then go from there. Well, hey, guess what? I never been booted before. Well, they've the, been really nice to us here. They, they closed. They closed swear, like hours ago. I know. I sw- I could have swore that it was mi- midnight. <laughs> Poor girls like want to go home. <laughs> so we're gonna have to cut this short. And again, um, I I appreciate you know Stefan interviewing me about the cube tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, it's uh, this is this is all about film trooper. So uh, so yeah. Yeah, keep up, keep up the great work, man. Thank this you. Is, this is this is really good stuff. I've been listening to the podcasts and uh, hope uh, more and more people do because there's good nuggets on there, with the exception of this one, of course. No, oh, this is a good one. No, because <laughs> I the lead in, I really wanted to talk about the lab so people understood, you know, mm-hmm. and, and heard it from firsthand what what goes on and and you know, I thought there were some good nuggets here. I'll find out. I have to go through and edit some stuff out. Probably a bunch of ums I got in here. <laughs> But anyway, thank you so much for coming out. I know you, it's late, but I uh, appreciate it. And we'll, we'll follow up for sure. Some Absolutely. More. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the cube. Yeah, me too. That's All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Good night. Thanks. All right. So that was my interview with the Willamette Writers Conference chairman, Stefan For Your Heart. Okay. I said that I would have a tip on how you might be able to accomplish waking up every morning and making your films and making a living doing this. The biggest advice that I can give you is to understand that your films are only advertisements to something bigger. Your films are only little products that add up to a real business, and that real business is you. You don't normally see a musician making a living as a hip-hop and a country artist. The same could be said for a filmmaker. So build your career off a type of film that is quintessential you. And the way you build a sustainable career off you is to exploit the licenses of all your products. Exploit the license. Meaning if you wrote a script, turn it into a play. Turn it into a book. Exploit it. Now, the only way you'll be able to control the exploitation of your art is to maintain 100% control of it, which means you'll have to avoid investment money, as if you did that, you'll have to answer the people with the money. If you sell your film off to a distribution company, you'll have to give away all your rights to and you won't have control to exploit your work the way you would want to. It's all about sharing who you are as an artist. And the greatest thing about you will be the value you provide others. See how that comes back full circle? The value you provide others. So you better find out what your purpose and what your value is. Just ask yourself that question. Okay, in the upcoming episodes, we'll get more into the details of how you can build a business from your value. But until then, 
Thanks again for listening to the Film Trooper Podcast. Thank you.